Hey everybody, welcome to Boston Confidential, Bean Town's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There is a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the dark side of the Athens of America, Boston, Massachusetts. Buckle up, because it's going to get bumpy. Hey guys, welcome back to Boston Confidential. Today we've got a dual episode, sort of. We're doing a part three on the Boston Marathon bombings, and we're going to specifically feature Ibrahim Todeshev and Daniel Morley. If you remember them from the first two episodes, my first episode I did was with Michelle McPhee, and the second one was just to clarify all the moving parts in this, but Ibrahim Todeshev is a suspect in the 2011 Waltham murders that preceded the Boston Marathon bombings. You've probably already heard some about Mr. Todeshev, but Daniel Morley was suspected of being the bomb maker that produced the bombs for the Zanea brothers that were later used in the Boston Marathon bombings. Daniel Morley is also suspected of robbing a store near MIT in order to create a diversion on the day that MIT police officer Sean Collier was assassinated while sitting in his patrol car on the campus of MIT. There's simply so much more to this story than most of the media had picked up on. And I came across all of this information in Michelle McPhee's book, Mayhem, Unanswered Question About the Zanea Brothers and the FBI in the Boston bombings. Just Google Mayhem, Michelle McPhee, and buy her book. There are a ton of moving parts to this case, and Michelle lays them out in a chronological fashion. The easiest way to get this book is the way I got it on Amazon. And one of the things that I do frequently when I buy books on Amazon is I really don't review the pictures, but the pictures in this book are startling. Michelle McPhee somehow came up with some photographs that had never been seen before and others you'll be familiar with. But when you buy the Amazon version, don't forget to look through the pictures of the bombing and the suspects in it. All right, so we're going to start with Ibrahim Todeshev. But first, I just wanted to give you a couple housekeeping items. Our website is up at bostonconfidential.net. You can leave reviews on the podcast on the website. Also, you can give me an email at any time, barry at bostonconfidential.net, and we can discuss the show. Some people have been emailing in with show ideas, so I'm enjoying that. I'd like to interact a little bit more with you guys. Feel free to do so. Contact me anytime via email. I also run a company, a private investigations company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. So if you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to give me a call. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right agency or individual. All right, guys, let's touch off with Ibrahim Todeshev, all right? Ibrahim Todeshev was an immigrant from Chechnya. He was born in 1985 in Grozny, Chechnya, and his father ultimately became a relatively high-ranking politician who favored Moscow, and that was almost a death sentence living in Grozny or anywhere in Chechnya, for that matter, and it still is, to be quite frank. So 
Ibrahim Todeshev's dad sent him over here on a student visa in 2008 or just before. And he did attend college here or was scheduled to attend college. But I see no mention of him actually going to school in the United States. He did attend college or the equivalent in Grozny, Chechnya. But I don't see him continuing his studies here in the United States. But I may be wrong on that one. And if I am, feel free to email me and I'll correct it in a later episode. But Todeshev was granted political asylum in 2008. And he was granted political asylum because of his father's position in the Chechen government. And as his father favored Moscow, that immediately puts a price on his head with the Muslim rebels in Grozny, Chechnya. So that would also put his son, Ibergrim, in danger as well. Ibrahim was a tough kid. He first started in boxing and then progressed into the MMA arena. And if you look at photographs of Todeshev, he looks like a boxer or a fighter. He's got a massively crooked nose and he almost cauliflower-like ears, which would indicate MMA training. They get a lot of injuries to their ears because they're always being bashed around as they wrestle on the mat or whatever. Okay, so Todeshev is granted political asylum in 2008. He became a permanent resident, which I think is a green card, they call a green card, in March of 2013. I'm not sure when, but Ibrahim Todeshev began working out at the infamous Y Crew gym in Brighton. And he met Tamlin Zanayev there, and they immediately became friendly. We're both involved in boxing and MMA, and Todeshev would have also probably been familiar with some of Tamerlan's other friends, including Brendan Mess, Eric Weissman, and Raphael Tekken, who also worked out and prepared to fight at Y Crew. So this was a group of people who knew each other or likely knew each other. Tamerlan was definitely friends with Todeshev, and Tamerlan, at least separately, was friends with Mess, Weissman, and Tekken. So there's at least that connection. So I want you to fast forward from 2008 when Todeshev receives political asylum and settles in Massachusetts. So it seems that Todeshev worked a series of odd jobs here and there, but the one constant in his life was the Y Crew gym. And then his friendship with Tamlin Zanayev grew and they began hanging around together. Now, I want to draw your attention to the upcoming 10th anniversary of the 9-11 bombings in Washington, Pennsylvania, and New York City. So it's the evening of September 11, 2011. And Brendan Mess, Eric Weissman, and Raphael Tekken were at Brendan Mess's apartment in Waltham, Massachusetts. Brendan had just broken up with his girlfriend, was spending some time with his buddies. This trio had their own problems involving high-grade marijuana. They were dealers of high-grade hydroponic marijuana. All three of them had various run-ins with the law that included violence. 
So it includes violence and drugs. But this night they were celebrating. It was a warm evening. Windows were open. And the three friends were doing what they usually do, hanging out, video games, and high-grade marijuana. At about 9 p.m. on that evening, one of these individuals contacts a local restaurant to have some food delivered. A short time later, the food is delivered, but there is no response coming from within the apartment. The delivery driver is pissed off, but goes about his business as it happens all the time. The next morning, Brendan Mess's girlfriend flies back from Florida and goes to Brendan's apartment. She sees a scene directly from a Hieronymus Bosch painting, a hellscape. The three individuals were brutally murdered and there was blood everywhere. This was no robbery. It was straight homicide. There was about $5,000 on the coffee table in the living room. There was also high-grade marijuana sprinkled on the coffee table and all over the bodies. But something more should have propelled this to the top of the FBI's list. The two Jewish victims in this case, Weissman and Brendan Mess, were sexually mutilated. Weissman's genitalia was cut off and placed on his face, and the only description of Brendan Mess's body was that he was sexually mutilated as well. One of the responding police officers stated that the scene looked like a jihadi training video or an al-Qaeda training video. Keep in mind, again, this was the 10th anniversary of 9-11-2001, and law enforcement authorities nationwide, actually worldwide, were on alert for copycat-type incidents and other Islamic extremist-type endeavors here, and I think this would certainly have qualified. I can't see why the FBI wasn't involved from Jump Street on this. There were two Jewish victims who were sexually mutilated, and one who was not Jewish who was murdered, I guess, in a more typical fashion. But I don't know what more you would have needed here. All that would have had to have happened to solve this grisly triple murder was to do a background on these guys, and they all attended Y Crew Gym, right? And so did Tamlin Zanaev. So as the next few days pass after the murder, Brendan Mess's funeral comes up, and Tamlin Zanaev is unexpectedly absent. Zanaev would prance Brendan Mess around Y Crew Gym, saying this was his only American friend. They spent a considerable amount of time together and were extremely friendly at the gym. So when Tamerlan didn't attend the funeral, at least two separate people went to the Waltham police. I don't know if they ever went to the FBI, but they said that Tamerlan should be looked at in this case. They also pointed the finger at Brendan Mess's girlfriend, who was also a Muslim who was growing more fundamentalist in her thinking and her actions. But Mess's girlfriend was actually out of town on the date of the murder, and she had only flown into Logan Airport the morning that she found the bodies. That would have been September 12th. So I think she had a built-in alibi. Also, I just don't know if she would have had the physical strength to hurt these MMA fighters and bodybuilders like she would have had to have done. So. I don't think a woman by herself could have 
conducted this homicide, this triple homicide, if the Waltham Police Department or the FBI had adequately investigated the nexus of the Y Crew Jim, they would have found several people that would have told them about Tamalan's fundamentalist streak. It was increasing. And that investigation of the Y Crew Jim nexus would have led them to Mr. Todesha. And that would have led them to the fact that Ibrahim Todeshev fled Boston, fled wherever he was living in the metro Boston area, within 12 hours. And I say 12 hours because it may have been right away. He may have actually left directly after this homicide, but definitely within 12 hours, Todeshev was in the wind. He moved to Florida and he stayed there. If the FBI had investigated this Y Crew Jim Nexus, they would have found all this out. But did they want to find it out? I don't think they wanted to investigate Tamlin Zanayev in this case. If you remember from the other episodes, Tamlin, after this triple homicide, left the country while being placed on two no-fly lists and flew to the Caucasus area of Russia. And he audio taped people and he met with terrorists using their code words, go to the forest, which meant go to training. He met these people. They were either arrested or assassinated. And then he returned to Massachusetts again on two no fly lists. So if the Waltham Police Department or again, the FBI had investigated this nexus at the Y Crew gym, they would have found out about Tamalan's growing fundamentalism and his friend Todeshev and the fact that Todeshev fled within hours of the murders in Waltham, Massachusetts. So Todeshev settles in Orlando, Florida and soon has a girlfriend, although he is still married. And on the day of the bombing, April 15th, 2013, his girlfriend states that he was upset, and a few days later, after Tamlin had been run over by his brother, he said he was very down, he was very sad because he had lost a friend in the Boston bombings. It seems at this point that the FBI was now taking up the investigation now that Tamlin was done, and they had to redeem their reputation in this case. And by this case, I mean the bombing investigation and the Waltham triple murder. But I do think that the FBI's focus on this was the terrorism angle, not this triple homicide investigation. They wanted to find out who else was involved in this conspiracy that resulted in the Boston bombings. And Ibrahim Todeshev was certainly on that list. Fast forward a little bit to May 4th, 2013. The FBI was conducting surveillance on Todeshev. And they watched as he pummeled two people in the parking lot of an outlet mall. Todeshev was trying to pull in or had pulled into a parking spot that someone was trying to save. It was a father and son that were involved in this fight with Todeshev. And Todeshev being the fighter that he is, the MMA fighter, he beat the shit out of one guy knocking his teeth out, knocking him clearly unconscious. 
And the FBI watched all of this happen. They were sitting. I don't know if they were filming it, but they certainly watched it. The police officer that ended up responding to this call stated that he saw uh, Todeshev's crooked nose and cauliflower ears, which indicated to him a jujitsu fighter. So at that point, the police officer rightfully drew his weapon and stated to Todeshev that if you fight with us, meaning the responding officers, we're going to shoot you. We know you're an MMA jujitsu fighter. At this point, Todeshev does surrender, and I think he would have been shot if he had not. He had totally beat the hell out of this guy. Additionally, in that case, he says to that same responding officers that you see those cars over there, that's the FBI watching me. And we all know that sometimes the FBI does aggressive surveillance because they want you to know you're under investigation. They want you to know you're under surveillance. They want to up the pressure to see what mistakes you make. They don't really want to see where you go and all that. They want to amp up your emotions to see if you make a mistake. And I think that's what was happening in this case. So Todeshev does get arrested, and I believe he gets a felony beef out of this fight. But put that on the back burner. The FBI has now requested to go to speak with Ibrahim Todeshev, and the FBI and the Massachusetts State Police form a team, and I believe they were already in Florida at this time, as they were watching Todeshev as he beat the hell out of this citizen trying to get a parking spot. So the law enforcement agents request that Todeshev come down to the police station. I'm assuming some district house in Orlando, Florida. That's where Todeshev was living. He adamantly refused. He would not attend a meeting at the police station. I'm assuming he's fearing that he'd be arrested. So the agents in the Massachusetts State Police do agree to an interview or interrogation at Todeshev's apartment. Okay, so the FBI, or the whole law enforcement team actually, agrees to meet Todeshev at his apartment, but it was reluctant because the FBI and the Mass State Police knew that this guy was violent. He was a professional fighter. They had actually watched him beat the hell out of somebody on May 4th. In 2010 in Boston, he got into a strange fender bender accident near downtown crossing and just beat the hell out of some people. And I believe at that time, the Boston police officer who attempted to arrest Todeshev said it was like fighting a refrigerator. So they knew he was violent. They knew he was tough. And they dispatched the whole team that had been investigating them. There was two FBI agents. One was Aaron McFarland from the Boston field office. They were investigating the Waltham murder out of the district attorney's office in Middlesex County. There were two state police detectives there present as well. One was Joe Gagney and Kurt Sinelli. They traveled down to Florida and were conducting their investigation. They were also joined by an unnamed field agent from the Tampa office, I believe. So there was four agents or mass state police present to investigate Mr. Todeshev. So, okay, it's May 21st, 2013, about 7.30. The foursome arrive at Todeshev's home and 
his roommate is there, they ask him to either take off or wait outside, in, in which he did comply. So the interrogation continues, and they start as they usually do, but they notice on the wall that there is a decorative samurai sword and some type of jihadi flag on the wall. And it certainly alarmed them, but what choice did they have but to continue their investigation? So they go back and forth for a while, but after a while, Todeshev actually confesses. At one point he says, I'm involved, but I didn't kill anybody. I didn't know Tam, as in Tamerlan Zanayev, was going to kill anybody. So they go back and forth, round and round with this. And at a certain point, about 10.30 at night, Todeshev signs a Miranda statement. So he had been advised of his rights. He had been advised of his rights before that as well. But he signed the physical statement now. And they were all getting ready to actually write his confession. So at this point, one of the troopers stepped outside and texted to the prosecutor that Mr. Todeshev was getting ready to confess. Actually, he had already confessed, stating that he was involved in it and he wanted help from the FBI. So at this point, the investigation continues, but at a certain point, they give Todeshev a paper and pen to start jotting down his confession. And what he wrote is startling. He does place himself at the scene. He states that he was there for a robbery. I'll actually read you the confession as it was taken. And from this point forward, it is Ibrahim Todeshev's words. He states, my name is Ibrahim Todeshev. I want to tell the story about the robbery me and Tam did in Waltham in September of 2011. That was something question mark by Tamalan. Some other unreadable items and says something he to me to rob the drug dealers. And by that, I think he means Mess, Weissman, and Tekken. Something to me to rob the drug dealers. We went there to their house. We got in there and Tam had a gun. He pointed it, question mark. The guy that opened the door for us, question mark. We went upstairs into the house. Three guys in there, question mark. We put them on the ground and then, question mark, taped up their hands. Todeshev started writing that around midnight. So it would have been May 21st into May 22nd, 2013. So at about midnight, he begins writing this confession. At that point, the FBI and the Mass State Police are ecstatic. One of them steps outside and gives an update to the prosecutor, who is now Marion Ryan of Middlesex County. But he started looking nervous and was apprehensive about going to jail. And he had been asking questions. Will I go to jail right away? Will I face indictment? Something where there'd be some time. But I believe the FBI would have arrested him right on the spot there. It would have just been too risky not to. So Todeshev is writing his confession just around midnight. But he was getting antsy. And the agents and the troopers were getting very nervous. One trooper 
removed the sword from the wall. It was a decorative sword and there was some type of assault rifle sticker, jihadi sticker nearby as well. But the law enforcement officer did remove the sword. Keep in mind that in the Waltham murders, they believe a sword or some other type object like a sword was used to behead or almost behead the victims. So that gave the police some pause, I believe. So all of this was a back and forth for a while, even after he started writing his confession. The more they talked, the more they got close to an actual confession, the more agitated Todeshev became. And at one point, he states to the agents and the troopers, after I tell you, are you going to take me to jail right away? And then he kept inquiring, how much time will I actually get? At this point, Trooper Sinelli recited his Miranda rights again, having him sign the form this time. This may be the same Miranda form as I had mentioned previously. But at about 10.25 p.m., Todeshev says he needs more cigarettes and all this. So Trooper Gagne volunteered to go get more cigarettes and took the opportunity to step outside. And that's when he actually texted the prosecutor about the progress and all this. And everybody was ecstatic at this point, thinking this this was coming to an end. It wasn't. It was going to get much worse in the next few minutes. So Todeshev does get the pen and paper and starts giving up his involvement in this triple homicide, which he described originally as a robbery. But I don't think Tamalin thought it was a robbery. He knew he was going to kill those people. Maybe Todeshev didn't know, but I'm skeptical on that. So Todeshev was almost finished writing the confession. Trooper Gagne steps outside and wanted to actually call rather than text the Middlesex County prosecutor. At this time, Todeshev asked to go to the men's room. This is probably the fourth or fifth time he had asked to do so during the interview. And Trooper Sinelli was getting a horrible feeling. The energy in the room had changed. And Sinelli whispers to FBI agent McFarlane, this is going to go bad. And it was at that point they removed the samurai sword from the wall. At about 12.03, Trooper Sinelli sends a text message to Trooper Gagne and says, you'd get back in here as the subject was getting jumpy. Uh, further in his text, he said, he's in a vulnerable position to do something bad. And Sinelli begins to walk back into the area where the subject Todeshev was. Todeshev comes out of the bathroom and now sees that the sword that was on the wall had been removed. And he sits down on his bed and there's a coffee table right there where he had been using the coffee table as a desk to write his confession. Agent McFarlane sits down next to him to continue the questioning and hopefully, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, I, I hope Todeshev finishes this confession. So he sits down on a folding chair and is looking down at his own notes. And at that time he felt feels a sharp pain and pressure on his head. What he didn't realize until later was that Todeshev had sprung up from the mattress, picked up the coffee table, and hit Agent McFarlane over the head, and it cut his head wide open. He would later need nine or ten staples to close a gaping wound in his head. So now the fight was on. So Todeshev runs past McFarlane, and the stunned FBI agent 
was still in the kitchen and he was gushing blood. Trooper Sinelli was right behind him. Todeshev was looking for something and eventually found it. It was later found to be some type of karate type pole, broomstick, basically a weapon. He raises the weapon high above his head and charges back towards the law enforcement officers. So Todeshev had actually split an FBI agent's head open, and I mean wide open, and now he had a weapon, and he was coming back towards a law enforcement group, and McFarlane started yelling, you know, disclaimers and warnings, stop right there, I'll shoot. The agent had to fire. He ended up shooting seven times in total, but the first round of bullets knocked Todeshev back, but within a matter of seconds, he sprung up again and lunged headlong at the investigators. At this point, McFarlane had no option about to discharge more bullets in Todeshev's direction. So he lets off another three or four rounds in striking Todeshev, and Todeshev actually falls at the feet of Sinelli. And he was bleeding so much, Sinelli's socks had to be taken for evidence. They had to remove their shoes to enter Todeshev's home because he was a Muslim, so that's why they didn't have shoes on. It ended up that Todeshev was shot six times in the body and once in the head. And to be quite frank, there was some investigation and brouhaha around this shooting. The Muslim community somehow wanted to marshal themselves around Todeshev, but this guy was a trained fighter. He was a bulldog, and he was looking to kill these agents and Mass State Police officers. So I don't cry for Mr. Todeshev on this one. The wound to McFarlane, you hear nine, ten stitches. This was almost fatal for him. And I don't know if he ever returned to work, but this was a almost a fatal wound. So with the untimely passing of Mr. Todeshev, the case, the Waltham triple homicide, appears to be closed. It's listed as still open with the Waltham Police Department and the FBI, but I believe this was a two-man job, Tamlin Sanayev and Ibrahim Todeshev, and Todeshev puts them both at the scene. He did confess. So even if he didn't actually cut any of their throats or cut their balls off, if you will, he's still guilty of homicide as it's a joint venture. I don't actually believe that Ibrahim Todeshev thought this was a robbery. This was a homicide, and these guys were infidels, and more than that, they were Jews. So that happens on the 10th anniversary of 9-11-2001, and it's still not solved. And I think the American public deserved better than that. And if you think so, email me and we can talk about it. Barry at bostonconfidential.net. Okay, we're going to put Mr. Todeshev aside, at least for right now. I'm going to leave you here with Mr. Ibrahim Todeshev, and then I'm going to finish up next week with Daniel Morley. And the reason I'm doing that is Morley is still out there. Todeshev is dead. His family will miss him, but nobody else. Mr. Morley is still out there, and he's still living at home, I believe, with his mother, whom he assaulted. So I believe Mr. Morley deserves his own episode. And I hope you do as well. 
So I'm going to leave you guys here with Mr. Todashev. Please don't cry any tears for Mr. Todashev. I believe he got what was coming to him. He knew what he had done, and that's why he was so stressed out. He knew what he had done in Waltham, and it caught up to him. And I believe that's called karma. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. Check us out at bostonconfidential.net. Email me directly anytime at barry at bostonconfidential.net. Otherwise, we're going to see you next week with Mr. Daniel Morley, the person who constructed the bombs for the Boston Marathon bombing of 2013. Take care. Have a great weekend.